Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic. So glad you're here with us today. If you're new, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we're going to do a standalone message about something that's been kind of um, grieving my heart for the past number of months. And uh, it just kind of come to an appropriate time for us to, to address some of these things today. And what we're going to do in the standalone message is a current events kind of message. So I want us to pause for just a moment, kind of look around at the world around us and um, ask a very important question. God, what do you want us to do? So we look around at the world and see some of these things that are happening around us. God, is there something that you want us as your followers to actually do as we watch our world do what it is currently doing? Um, so let me give you a little bit of uh, disclaimer. Uh, this message is not fully finished in me yet. So this, this is something that's been stirring in, in me for a while. And I think this is going to be the beginning of a conversation. At least I hope it is the beginning of a conversation. I'm actually planning a message series early next year that'll be kind of part two to what we're talking about today. Um, but there's just something stirring in my heart. And I feel like we need to, to talk about that today. So um, I'm glad you're here. And uh, I hope by the end of the service that you're glad you're here. Uh, so that'd be great for all of us. So here we go, little current events. Over the past several months, we've had some horrible terrorist attacks around the world. If you remember not long ago in France, there was a terrorist that got in a truck drove down a very busy street, killed over 80 people, and injured over 300 people. And then in Turkey not long ago, there were 50 people that were killed at a wedding, and it appears that the terrorist that did that was a 13-year-old boy. Now, it's one thing when that stuff happens around the world, and I think for many of us, we think, oh yeah, that's kind of how the world lives. It's another thing when things like that happen in the United States. So think about some of the terrorist attacks that have happened in the United States. Obviously, none of us can cannot think about 9-11 and how that's impacted us and how that's impacted our world. Think about what happened not long ago down in Orlando, so just in our backyard. There were 49 people that were killed and I think 53 people that were injured by a terrorist who went into a nightclub because he didn't like their lifestyle and decided to kill some of them. Um, there was just last week when I left, left church, looked at my phone, and it said there was a bomb that went off in a neighborhood in New York. And I think another bomb was found in, in New Jersey. In New York, there were 29 people that were in, injured because of that bomb. And then if you've been watching the news at all, you've seen uh, a guy in, in a mall in Minnesota pull out a knife and stab people. Uh, and if you followed anything that happened Friday, there was a, a guy Friday in Washington went into a mall with a, a rifle and shot five people. Now, let's pause on that subject and transition to another subject for a moment. Think about the racial tension that's happening in our country. And think about some of the things that have happened in, in Baltimore, some of the things that are happening right now in Charlotte, some of the things that have sparked those things, some of the things that have happened in Dallas. 
And on the subject of, of racism and this, this racial tension that we have, we have innocent people dying on both sides of this issue. And we have people marching in streets calling for the murder of police officers. Now let's transition to another fun subject. Think about our political system and how well that's going. You know, I think about politics and, and I, I look at um, our political landscape right now and I see this huge divide and it's becoming wider and wider. And there are moments I wonder, are we ever going to be able to come together as every politician talks about and work for the common good of all Americans? I'm not so sure. It seems like we've, we've crossed some very significant boundaries that make it extremely difficult for us to pull that off. And so when I look around our world and I, and I see the, the terrorism, I see the racial tension, I see our political divide, there are moments I, I really wonder, like, is this really happening today? Really? Anybody else feel that way? Anybody else like in a little bit of shock at, at kind of what's going on? I was talking with a neighbor friend of mine the other day. He was, he's 92 years old. And we got talking about some of these things. And he said, Trent, I am ready to get off this planet because this is not my home. And I'm half his age. And, and I said, yes, can I go with you? Um, not today, uh, but I would love to go with you. And, you know, and I, there are moments that I, I dream about that. I dream about you know, one day, the Bible says that one day Jesus will come back and Jesus will make everything right the way that it was supposed to be. Anybody ready for that day? Like, I, I am so excited about the day that Jesus is going to come back. And scripture is clear on that. He will come back. And, and that is going to be one amazing day. So listen to how an Old Testament prophet described that day. Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. He said, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Now, David was King David. So this is David and Goliath. If you're not familiar with, with him, this is David and Goliath. David was the second king of the nation of Israel. So out of his lineage is going to come a new branch. That new branch is Jesus. And verse two says, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. Imagine that happening. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. And listen to what that day will be like. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and yearling will be safe with a lion and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. And in that day, the heir to David's throne, which is Jesus, 
will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Aren't you excited about that day coming? Two of us are. Hopefully a few more of you are. So that day is going to come. But I have to ask the question of me and of you, what do we do until that day comes? What do we do? Are we supposed to pray fervently and, and, and God, please come back? Are we supposed to withdraw from our world because we're not exactly sure what to do with it? What are we supposed to do while we're waiting for Jesus. So that's what I'd like to explore today. Some of the things that I think God wants us to do while we wait for Jesus to return. Now, before we get into that, let me start with a few things that some Christians, not all Christians, but some Christians are doing while we wait for Christ to return. So the first thing that some Christians are doing is they are withdrawing from our world. So they look at the chaos around us and they've decided, you know what? It's better if we live in nice little Christian bubbles, nice little Christian circles where we interact with each other and we do our very best not to interact with the pagan crazy world out there so we don't get corrupted by the world. So let's just create our own nice little circles where we can just uh, cheer each other on and pray that Jesus will hurry up and come back and bring his justice to the world. Now, this isn't a new strategy in uh, religious circles. This strategy has been used for a very long time. In fact, before the time that Jesus walked the planet Earth and while Jesus was on planet Earth, there was a group of, of Christians, not Christians at that time, a group of God followers that were called the Essenes, and they were doing that. You see, they got so sick of the corruption that was happening in the Jewish culture. They got so sick of watching the Roman culture have such a negative influence on the Jewish culture. It even influenced the priests. And the priests were being corrupted by that culture and they were not obeying God. And so this group of Essenes said, we don't wanna have anything to do with that group. So they separated themselves. They withdrew and created their own community close to the Dead Sea. They spent their time writing what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so they wrote many of the Old Testament books of the Bible that we were able to discover in 1947. And I don't think their motives were completely impure. You know, I think they had some decent motives. I think their motives were to stay pure from the corruption of the world. But I think they missed a huge opportunity to engage the world. I think they missed a huge opportunity to speak into the world and be a positive influence for God. Now, I have this little fear that there are some Christ followers that are following the lead of the Essenes, that we've decided, you know what, it's better to disengage, it's better to pull away. And, and sometimes we pray, Jesus, come back. And I'll be honest with you, I've prayed those prayers. There have been moments I've prayed, Jesus, just come back. Like, it's such a wreck down here. We've made such a mess. I'm not sure we can clean this up. Like, we need you to come back and clean this up. But, but I'll be honest with you. Not that I'm not honest with you all the time. <laughs> Thank you. So there are, there are moments that I wonder about my own prayers. 
There are moments I wonder, am I praying Jesus come back because I don't want to be that involved in cleaning up the mess of the world? I wonder that about some of my prayers. Because there are moments I look at the world and I go, I don't really want to be all that inconvenienced. I don't know that I want to get that messy. I don't know that I want to get that involved. And so I wonder if there are moments that we pray that. And I wonder if if when we're praying that, that's what we mean. Like, we don't want to be so involved. Jesus, just come back and make everything right. Bring your justice. And I think we forget something that Jesus prayed. In John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus was talking with his heavenly father, and he said this. He said, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. He's speaking about those of us who are his followers. So if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus has sent you, and he is sending you, and he's sending me into the world. So he's, he's got a very specific purpose, and he says, go into all the world, not just a portion of the world, but go into all the world and help people find Jesus. So a question for us is, are you, am I, withdrawing from the world? When you see the chaos around you, are you giving in to the temptation to step back and live in a nice Christian bubble? Now, here's another thing that some Christians are doing in response to our world. Not all Christians, but just some. Some are angrily opposing the world. Uh, They're watching stuff happening in the world that they feel is not right, and, and much of it is not right. And... They're getting angry about it. And some are throwing verbal stones at every, uh, through every social media outlet that they can find. And if you come to Epic any length of time, you can probably um, say, hey, Trent's not a super big fan of social media. Um, and so I apologize if you are. Um, but hear me out for just a second. There are moments that I watch stuff on social media and I've, I've engaged social media. I'm, I'm on it. Um, There are moments that I watch stuff happen on social media in Jesus' name, and I look at it and say, that's not Christ-like. That debate, that argument, the way you're behaving, the way you're acting in those words, the words you've chosen, that's not Christ-like. And I wonder at times, I wonder, would Jesus post that? And so I really think I think all of us, before we hit the post button, I think we should ask that. Would Jesus post this? I'm not sure. And I'm not saying that we should not leverage social media. Please hear me on that. I think social media is a great tool. And I think we should leverage every possible tool we can to help people find Jesus. I really believe that. And I think social media can be one of those tools. But I think we need to leverage it to help people find Jesus. So I think we really need to ask on a regular basis, is my social media presence helping people find Jesus? Or am I engaging a a debate or an argument in such a way that it's actually pushing people farther away from the God who loves them dearly, the Jesus who died so that they can live? Now, Along the same lines of angrily opposing our culture, there are some Christians who are preparing for a real battle with our world. 
And I know this is going to sound crazy. Um, and it, so if you need to laugh, you can. Um, but I have had people come and tell me we are living in the end times. And they ask me, are you armed and prepared to defend yourself? I've had those conversations. And um, what they mean by that is, do I have guns and am I ready to shoot people who disagree with me? Now, I do believe we're living in the end times. I honestly believe that. I don't believe there's anything more prophetic in scripture that needs to happen for Jesus to come back and rapture his church home. And uh, if you see a cloud in the sky, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, on a cloudy day, that's going to happen. So I love clouds. I'm a fan of clouds. I see a cloud, I'm like, it could be today. Woo! This is awesome. So we need to be ready for that day. But am I prepared to actually shoot people who disagree with me? No. Am, am I prepared to shoot people who want to take my guns away? No. Am I prepared to shoot people who disagree with me theologically? I know this may sound crazy, but that actually goes against my theological beliefs. No, I'm not prepared for that. Now, am I ready to defend my family? Defend people who need to be defended? Yes. So if I were in a mall and a terrorist came in and pulled out a gun or pulled out a knife and started killing people or harming people, I believe scripture says, it is appointed unto man once to die and after that, the judgment. So if someone chooses to do that, I am very okay that he has chosen the day that most likely he will die and stare into the eyes of a holy God and give an account for that decision that he's made. And I'm okay if that means I have to sacrifice my life for people around me. And I'm okay if that means I have to take his life to do that as well. So I am prepared to defend myself in, in that kind of scenario. But am I ready to shoot people who disagree with me? No, I'm not. So here's the point of that. There are moments that we put our hope and our trust in the wrong thing. Like, like we're hoping in things that it's not the right thing. Our hope is in the wrong place. Our trust is in the wrong place. This is what King David said in Psalms 20 verse 7. He said, some people trust in chariots and some in horses. So if you can imagine in his day, that, that language spoke clearly. And he says this, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So guess what? Our hope should not be in our guns. Our hope should not be in our military. Our hope should not be in our security systems at home. Our hope should be in God and God alone. And so is your hope in God? Or is it in something else? Are you hoping in something other than the creator of the universe as we wrestle through some of these very difficult things? Now, let's transition to some things I think that God wants us to do as we are waiting for Christ's return. So the biggest thing I think is this. I think God wants us to engage our world the way that he engaged us. And I want to bring up a, a picture of our, um, our logo for just a minute. This is captured. We've captured this in our, our logo. Um, if it 
Is, there it is. All right, we got it. We got it, we got it. Okay, so in our logo, we've captured this concept of engaging the world. So you see our big E that's there, that's coming into that circle. For us, that represents God engaging the world. And he did that through the life of Jesus Christ. And he asks us to follow him. And he's modeled it very well, how to engage the world. And so I think he's asked us to engage the world as well, so that he also represents us as a church family engaging the world around us. So I think that's the biggest thing that God wants us to do. And I don't think that we can fully appreciate the world that Jesus stepped into. And sometimes, you know, when we think about God engaging the world and becoming flesh, sometimes I think uh, we've um, romanticized it almost or made it this nice little bedtime story. And, you know, we read to our kids at Christmas time and Jesus' birth and he's wrapped, you know, in uh, strips of cloth. And we think it's such a magical moment. And it was a very magical moment. But sometimes we make it a little bit more fanciful, if that's even a word, than it really is or than it really was. I mean, Jesus stepped into a very war-torn world, a world that was being torn apart by injustice and power struggles and racism and poverty and, and death of all kinds. That's the world that Jesus stepped into. He didn't step into a nice suburban neighborhood where everyone looked the same, dressed the same, drove the same kind of cars, had the same kind of bank accounts and said, hey, let's all love each other. That's not the world that Jesus stepped into. He stepped into a world that was being ripped apart by all kinds of injustice. And what did Jesus do? He stepped towards it and he engaged it for us, for you and for me. This is one of the first things that that Jesus did. In Luke chapter 19, it records a story known as Jesus' triumphal entry. So this is the moment that Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem and people were uh, bowing before him, throwing palm branches before him and praising him as their king. And it's interesting because just a few days later, they're calling for his crucifixion. But in that moment, Jesus is riding the donkey and he's riding down the Mount of Olives and he's headed towards Jerusalem. And, and you know, if you get a chance to go to Israel, go. I've, I've walked that road. It's amazing. It's an amazing view. But Jesus rode this donkey and he looks at Jerusalem. And Luke chapter 19, verse 41 says this, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Now understand who this is. This is God in the flesh. He looks at humanity He looks at the condition of humanity and what's happening in the world around him and he weeps this deep grief in his heart. He's heartbroken. And so I gotta ask myself and I gotta ask you, when was the last time you were deeply grieved by the condition of our world? When was the last time you you looked around our world and your heart was so broken that tears came to your eyes. I think our heart should be broken like that because God's heart was broken like that. And I think it'd be very appropriate for us to look around our world and just be grieved by it. And then I think our grief should lead us to something. I think our grief should lead us to the next thing, which is prayer. I think we should pray for our world. I think we should pray for our country. I think we should pray for people who are living in spiritual darkness. I think we should pray that people understand that Jesus, God in the flesh, died so that they can live. I think we should pray that people would repent of their sins, turn to God. He's the only 
one who can help all of us for all of eternity. He's the only one. So when was the last time you were so deeply grieved by our world that you began to pray for our world? And again, I'll be honest about myself. I can't say that I pray those prayers nearly enough. I wish I prayed them more. Um, There are moments that I am deeply grieved by our world, and I've been grieved for several months. Um, But there are are many more moments that my grief turns to sarcasm, or my grief turns to me being a little judgmental, or a little cynical, maybe uh, my heart getting a little callous towards our world. But when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, his heart wasn't calloused. His heart was deeply moved, deeply grieved, moved so much that it led him to action. And I think that's the next thing that God wants us to do. Our grief should lead us to prayer. Our prayer should lead us to action. So listen to this. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, he said, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So I don't know if that's intimidating to you as a Christ follower or not, but if you're a Christ follower, Jesus says you are the light of the world. And there are moments that I look at me, I look at myself, and I look at my light, and I go, God, do you really know what you're doing? Because I'm not so confident about this light right here. You're the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Can people see Jesus because of the light that you are shining? It's a big question. Now, here's a, a great challenge that we have as Christ followers. Many of us have installed dimmer switches on our lights. So we've got these dimmer switches and there are these moments that we shine bright. You know, maybe Sunday morning is our bright time. Like, let's turn the dimmer switch up. You know, we're singing praise songs. We're loving being at church, being around Christ followers. We've got this nice Christian bubble thing going on. It's fantastic. Maybe we're kind of listening to the service a little bit here or there, but we're feeling good and the, you know, the light is bright. And then we go to work. And then we go to school. And then maybe on Friday night, we're tempted to engage something that's not really honoring to God. And so maybe we dim the light. Or maybe we get around our world and maybe our heart has grown kind of callous to our world. And so we get around people who are not Christ followers and we kind of purposely dim our light because we think they're never gonna listen. Why would I even waste my time? Why would I waste my time with people here at work? Why would I waste my time with these kids at school? They're never going to hear about Jesus and respond. And so maybe we purposely dim our light. I think there are many of us that dim our light because we don't know what to do. We look around the world and we're like, I don't even know how to engage some of these difficult subjects. Like, I don't even really know what to do. We live in such a politically correct world. It feels like no matter what we do, it's the wrong thing. And so some of us go, well, I'll just dim my light a little bit. I don't, I don't want to shine it so bright out in the, in the community. I don't want to shine it so bright at, at work. I'm not sure what to do, so I'll dim my light and withdraw a little bit. Now, I want us to think for a moment about the, 
the interaction between light and darkness. So I want you to participate with me for just a moment. So what would you say the purpose of light is? So just a few people, just shout out your answer. What do you think the purpose of light is? So we can see, great. Safety, fantastic. Reveal things. Um, what was the other one? Growth, good, all great answers. What was that? Direction, great. So all has to do with the ability to see. Um, here's the definition I'm using this morning. To extinguish the darkness. So the purpose of light, if you think about it, is to extinguish the darkness around. When you walk into your house and it's dark, you flip on the light, what does it do? It extinguishes the darkness. When I walk my dog at night, because she's a chocolate lab, I have a hard time seeing her when she disappears, so I bring a flashlight. And I turn the flashlight on, and the flashlight helps me find my dog and, and bring her home. Now, um, I am going to do a little illustration. It's a really kind of corny illustration, but bear with me because I'm corny. So um, in a moment, I'm going to ask all the lights to come down, and Will, our, our lighting guy today, is going to do that. So now would not be a really good time for you to go to the bathroom or get up and move. Uh, you know, you might trip or hurt yourself. But what I want you to do is I want you to observe the interaction between light and darkness. I'm going to use this little flashlight to help us do that. So if we can bring all the lights down, or as many as possible, that would be great. Okay, so we've got a few lights uh, here and there, but I think this will help us understand what, what we're trying to communicate. So watch as I turn this light on, and I want you to watch the interaction between light and darkness, and I want you to make an observation about it, okay? Okay, so I've got this one little flashlight, and it, it's helping us all to see a, a little bit better. Um, so when I turned the light on, what did you observe? What happened? Got brighter. What else? Following the light. You can see. It's reflecting. Yep. Hopefully not off of my head. We could do that. I don't know how that shows up, but. Okay, so the, the point is, did the darkness, and think about it, like this room was mostly dark. Did the darkness extinguish the light? No. What did the light do? It extinguished the darkness. Okay, we can uh, pull the lights back up. So Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. If you're a Christ follower, you are the light of the world. And you've been given a challenge by God, a command by God to go into the world and what? Help extinguish the darkness. Where does a flashlight work best? in the darkness. And so God is asking us to step towards the darkness and use our light to help extinguish the darkness that is there and push that darkness back. And what? Help more people find Jesus. Listen to what Ephesians 5.15 says. It says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So I got to ask again, I got to ask of you, I got to ask of me, are we making the most of every opportunity in these evil days? Are you making the most of every opportunity that you have to shine the light of Jesus in front of people at work, in front of people at home, in front of people at school, when you go to Walmart, when you go wherever in our, our community or outside of our community, are you making the most of every opportunity you know what the only thing that can change a terrorist's heart is? 
Jesus. The love of Jesus. It's the only thing that can change a terrorist heart. You know, a, a politician can't. You know, a politician who builds a wall can't change a terrorist heart. You know, a politician who puts out an easy button can't change a terrorist heart. Does everybody feel you know, equally offended there? Okay, great. I didn't want to leave anybody out. Only Jesus can transform a person's heart. And, and who has he chosen to use? You and me. Like the light of the world that he's called us to be. So he said, go into all the world. So are you ta- making the most of every opportunity or is your dimmer switch on? And you may have different reasons for having your dimmer switch on. Maybe, maybe you're just not sure what to do. Maybe you don't care. Maybe you're just hoping Jesus will come back and, and make everything right. So again, what's the condition of the light in your life? Have you grown callous to our world? Are you grieved by our world? You're the light of the world, and Jesus has sent you into the world to help extinguish the darkness. Now, how do we do this in a real practical way? Like, what are some things that we can do? As we leave here and we go out today, what are some things that we can do? Let me first say I'm not really sure. I told you this was kind of unfinished. I'm not really sure. I do know it involves prayer. I do know it involves being grieved. I do know it involves moving to action. I do know it involves stepping towards, not away from our world. I do know it involves engaging conversations that are uncomfortable to us. I know it involves all those things. Beyond that, I'm not exactly sure. But I do know that God will show us. God will show us if we ask him, say, God, here I am at this point in time of history. You've picked this for me to be alive and be a light for you. So what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be this light here today? And I'm confident God will answer as we ask. So that's what we're gonna do today as we end our service. We're gonna end our service very differently than we've ever ended our service. And we've ended our service uh, in prayer before. We've done that. Um, but we've never done what we're going to do today. And um, so some of you are probably already a little bit nervous. But what I'm going to ask us to do in just a minute, our worship team's going to come out and they're going to play instrumentally for a few moments. And, uh, and then they're going to engage a song and invite us to, to be in that song. But what I want us to do during that instrumental part is I want us to spend some time praying together. So what I'd like you to do is get with one other person, two other people, maybe three other people, get in small groups. And I would like you to pray out loud together. Okay, let's all just take a deep breath, all right? And you're thinking, this is the day I chose to come to Epic. Like, why? Why not next week? I get it, I understand. It'll be okay. Um, We made available to everybody on your seat a copy of our Spiritual Growth Challenge. So if you would grab that, and this is a one-page document that we make available each week. It helps all of us to dive a little deeper into what we're studying on Sunday mornings. And if you look on the back side of that, there's actually a prayer guide. And um, I don't know if this is possible, Will. Um, We might need, does anybody need more light to actually read this? Anybody? If you can read it all the way that we have it now, then great. We'll leave the light down. Um, okay, so then we'll do that. Um, if you're not sure what to pray in your little group, then I've got these four categories. I'd like us to pray for our world, our nation, this racial tension, and our response. And I have a sample prayer that's there. 
And if you get to your turn and you're like, I have no idea what to pray, then just read that prayer. I just I'd encourage you to do that. I think it can be that simple. I think God understands uh, your heart and my heart. Now, those of you who are super familiar with prayer and you're really comfortable and you're super excited about this, let me just remind you, we don't have an hour for this, okay? So like, don't like get into like a big, long prayer. Like, Keep your prayer you know, specific, direct, and short. Hopefully, this is the beginning of us doing this, beginning of prayer, beginning of the conversation, beginning of you crying out to God for help. Now, if um, you would say like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Like I'm an you know, anti-social kind of person. I'm not praying with anybody. That's fine. You don't have to pray with anybody. I'm not keeping count up here or anything. And if you'd say like, I've never prayed before in my life, that's okay. You can in this moment if you want. You could just say, God, it's kind of messed up down here. We need you. Amen. I mean, that could be your prayer. Um, but don't feel obligated to pray. Here, here's not my goal. My goal isn't that I make you feel uncomfortable. And that you walk away and today as you go to lunch or, or later this week, you're talking about your experience at Epic and you say, man, the pastor did this weirdest thing ever. He made us all feel so uncomfortable. He asked us to pray and it was so crazy. I just want to get out of there. So I hope that's not what you leave with. I hope what you leave with is there are moments that we have to step out of our comfort zone and feel something so deeply we're willing to do things we wouldn't normally do. And prayer is the most powerful thing that we can do for our world. And I hope that you'd say, as you look back to today, you know what? We had the privilege and honor of praying for our world. So that's what I hope sticks in your mind. Listen to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. It's a great opportunity for us to turn to God and allow him to do what only he can do. So again, um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you just a moment to go ahead and, and get in, in groups as you feel led to do that, and then you can begin praying. If you get in a group, just go ahead and introduce yourself to somebody if you don't know them, and then decide who's going to pray first, and then just start praying during this song, okay? So let's pray together. Lord, you know, um, my heart's been heavy on this subject for a while, and I know your heart has been grieved over it for a whole lot longer than my heart has been. And Lord, as you look at humanity, you look at the condition of humanity and, and how we're living, the choices that we're making, um, Lord, I, I just can't help but believe your heart is grieved for us today. And the grief that's in our heart, you want it to, to lead to something, not to despair, not to hopelessness, not to discouragement, not to withdrawing, you want us to be led to prayer, and you want us to be led to action, and you want us to step towards our world and engage our world because you've said, Jesus, we are the light of the world. We take your light into the world. And Lord, I can't always say I do a great job at that, but I need to do a better job. And we as a church family, we want to do a better job of representing you to the world. So teach us how to do that, I pray. And uh, Lord, as we gather in these small groups, I, I know that there are amazing things that happen when we pray. And when a church family gathers together for prayer, I know that you take notice of that in heaven and you move on our behalf. And so God, we ask that you would move, that you would speak, that you would show us how to live in a spiritually dark world. In Jesus' name.
Amen. You can begin praying.